0: Okay, so let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, we're going to jump in. And um, Jesse, there's a few more folks I see uh, coming, but um, yeah, we might need some more chairs. Uh, When Todd Cass comes, you can just ask him to sit outside. That'd be okay. All right, let me pray for us, Lord. Thanks for today uh, and for this weekend. Uh, time to spend together with family and friends, and for our class. And uh, Lord, we just uh, commit this whole time to you. Pray that uh, that uh, we would understand your word better today to live it out uh, in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, so um, so we've been talking about uh, the book of Deuteronomy. We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy. You think, oh man, that's a that sounds horrible. Um. But if you don't know the law, you're going to really struggle in the Bible. Um, you just have no chance, really, of understanding the Bible well if you don't know the law. Um, how many books were written by, by Jews? We have 66 books. How many were written by Jews? Yeah, depending on what you do with, if you, you know, you've got to figure out if Luke was a Gentile or not. Um, but whatever Luke's writing, he got it from Paul. Um, yeah. At the end of uh, the book of Colossians, um, puts, puts Luke in the Gentile camp. But anyway, it doesn't, yeah, doesn't, uh, we think, but, but it doesn't matter. Um, God revealed himself to Israel and through Israel to the nations. Right, and so everything that we read, you know, you know, is either directly from a Jew or it was uh, um, you know, Luke traveling with Paul. Um, in the Old Testament, um, the story of creation is told by Moses in the Law, and so the Law begins in Genesis, uh, and the section that we call the Law runs through. You know, so it's the Pentateuch, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy. Um, You may have tried to read the Bible straight through and you probably did okay in Genesis. You got through there and then you probably did okay in Exodus until you got to building the tabernacle. And then you're going, this is horrible. Um, And then you skipped forward to Leviticus and you went, this gets worse. And you just gave up on the whole thing and went back to the New Testament, right? Go back to John or something. But... um, but one of the things that, that happens is, because we, um, we've been I, I don't know I don't know what we think about the law, but it's usually not good. Is that fair? Law is bad. right? Grace is good, law is bad. That's, that's basically how we think about these things. Um, so I wrote some passages here. I, I want to kind of walk our way through the logic train here. Uh, Let me start, even before I get to Deuteronomy 30, how about turn to Psalm 19? How about Psalm 19? Yeah, well, none of this is thought through uh, before we're actually in it, right? Um, It takes too much effort to think through it before. Uh, Psalm 19, turn over Psalm 19. Okay, so there are, this is a a Psalm of David. Um, Um. the, the, it's fourteen uh, verses in your English Bible. The first six verses talk about creation, uh, and then seven through fourteen talk about the law. Okay, uh, the first six verses. Um, oh, this is going to be good. Hold on one second. About time. Just come anytime you want. Okay. Cool. <laughs> 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 oh uh we're we're in uh Psalm 19. Todd, you know where that is? It's in the Bible. I know, yeah. Todd was one of our one of my students at the seminary. So right. that's that's why he's still coming. He's in the remedial program. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, goodness. Uh, So the first, uh, uh, Psalm 19, the first uh, uh, six verses talk about creation, and then the last seven talk about the law, okay? And there's a contrast between creation and the law, and I want you to see this, okay? The heavens are telling of uh, of the glory of the Lord, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pour forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. But there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. So you look at creation and it screams that there is a creator God. You look at the magnificence of creation um, uh, and it, uh, it declares the glory of God, but it, there's no words. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man as it runs its course. Talking about the sunrise as it goes across the sky to the sunset. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. As great as creation is, it pales in comparison to the law because it does not speak. It doesn't reveal the Lord. It tells there is a Lord. It doesn't tell you about him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But the law is perfect. Creation, not bad, but the law, perfect. It restores the soul. Is that how you think about the law? Mm-hmm what are the chances that David has the correct view of the law and you have the incorrect view of the law? (laughs) More than likely, right? Um, We'll get to Paul in a minute. Paul's going to say in first Timothy eight, the law is good if it's used lawfully. Right? So we'll talk about this, but I just want to, once you hear, hear about the law, uh, the law is, it is perfect. Uh, Blameless. It is Tamim is perfect. It, it restores the soul. It is a, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, something that maybe we could point out here is that when you're reading um, in Hebrew poetry, this is poetry, right? Psalms are poetry. Um, and you'll notice probably in your typeset of your font, um, the, the, the words don't go from margin to margin. Do you see that? It cuts in. It, it kind of goes like this. If you're looking down, the, it goes like this, right? It's saying poetry, poetry, poetry. If you look uh, in the Old Testament story, it goes from margin to margin. Does that make sense? So narrative literature goes from margin to margin. Poetry goes like this. And that's how the editor is showing you this is poetry. In Hebrew poetry, it doesn't, um, poetry doesn't rhyme, um, but uh, it usually contains what we call parallelism. In other words, um, uh, the law is perfect, Restores the soul, okay? You see that? Um, uh, The testimony of the Lord. So you have the law of the Lord, right? The law of the Lord, of the Lord. Let's do it this way. Is perfect. So this this would be like A. And it restores the soul. B, okay? And then what he's going to do is he's going through here, and we're going to, it's called... um, what is it called? Synonymous. You know what synonymous means? It's a fancy word. It says the same thing. Synonym. Synonymous parallelism. It's saying the same thing over and over again. And every time he restates this, it gets a little clearer what he's saying, right? Um, the testimony of the Lord. So the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, it is perfect. It is, it's sure. Making wise the simple. So, why does it restore the soul? It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They are yashar, right, right in the sense of righteous or just. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, it gives light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord, right? The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Did you catch that? The fear of the Lord. Where, where do you learn to fear the Lord? The law. It is clean. It endures forever. Doesn't Jesus say something like that? I didn't come to abolish the law, fulfill it. Not one jot or till of this law will perish. The word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are sure. They are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. For who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also, keep your servant back from presumptuous sin and let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Did you catch that? The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's see if we can pull this together. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is um, what the book of Deuteronomy does. is in, is In the first four chapters, Moses reminds Israel of what the Lord has done for Israel. He saved them. He delivered them. He brought them out of Egypt. He's taken them to the edge of the land, and now they're about to take the land. And then in chapter five, he gives them the great commands, right? These are the great commands that you are to follow. Uh, love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength. That's the first, uh, for, uh, you know, first few. Uh, and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the last. So love the Lord, love your brother. Uh, and this is uh, the content of the, of the great commands, the 10 commands. And then in chapter six, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. uh, Exhortation to follow the Mm -hmm. Lord. And then in chapters 7 through 27, he begins to spell out specifically what it looks like to love the Lord your God, to follow his commands. Gives examples, right? Chapter 28, he says, Now here's what's going to happen. Y'all are worthless. You're hard neck, you're stiff neck, you're rebellious people. You're going to reject the Lord. And so when you do, He's going to judge you for it. If you follow the Lord, you'll be blessed in the land, chapters uh, 28, verses 1 through 14. But if you reject the Lord, he's going to judge you. And he's going to put these curses upon you, chapter 28, chapter 29. And so in chapter 30, he says, when these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, and you recall them to the mind in the land where the Lord your God has banished you. If they are disobedient and they rebel against the Lord, and if they follow other gods, he's going to kick them out of the land, right? And then, in the end, he's going to restore him. He's going to bring him back to the land, and he's going to give him a new heart and a new spirit. Okay, look at chapter thirty, verse eleven. This commandment which I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you. We think the law is hard, is it? Moses doesn't think so. Is it just too hard to not kill your neighbor? <laughs> if you knew our neighbor, yeah. Yeah, the problem is with the neighbor. Um, if you're, uh, you know, uh, is it just too hard to not use fair scales in the marketplace? It's just too hard. Too hard not to steal your neighbor's stuff. That's just too hard. I just can't do that or if your ox is out goring all the neighbors, it's just too hard to pin it up. I just, I just can't. do. It. None of this is too hard. None of this is too difficult for you. Except for the fact that you're a hard-hearted people. And you don't care about the Lord and you don't care about your neighbor. You care about yourself, see? And so the, the function of the law. Now, l- let, me, let me add to that a little bit. Could Israel keep the law? Before you answer, let me tell you. Yes. You'll say no. I said, yes. Was there provision in the law for their inability to keep it? Of course. What was that provision? The sacrificial system, which looked forward to the coming one who was going to be the once for all sacrifice for sin. Now, there was one sin that was the unforgivable sin, right? What was it? you go after other gods in whom there is no salvation and there's and this sacrificial system is no help to you so the law the function of the law was to cause israel to recognize that they were a stiff-necked rebellious people they didn't have the character of god does that make sense and so they recog- god reveals his character he is perfect the law is perfect it, it reveals his perfect character it, uh, it is sweeter than honey, right? Uh, If you say, uh, uh, what's the Lord like? You have to go to the law. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. This is the Lord, but by no means leave sin unpunished. How would you know that except by going to the law? And so then you read the law and you're an Israelite and you conclude, um, well, that's not me. I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care about and what that ought to do is to drive you to repentance and to drive you to faith, right? Recognizing that the penalty of your sin is death, and therefore you need a covering until the one comes who doesn't cover your sin but takes it away. Takes it away. Now, what did Israel do with the law? Well, what they did with the law. Uh, is they said, look here, Gentile, God likes us more than he does you, right? Uh, you are Gentiles. You are unclean. We are clean. You are evil. We are good. You are wicked. We are righteous. And so they use the law to make themselves righteous. Is that what the law is for? That's not what the law is for. And so look at the first Timothy chapter eight chapter 1, verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Paul is writing to Timothy because there are those who are uh, teaching strange doctrines. These are Jewish people teaching strange doctrines. What what are the strange doctrines? Well, they're paying attention to uh, myths and to endless genealogies. Uh, They're making speculation about the law. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love. Verse 5, from a pure heart, In a good conscience. We're going to return to that conscience when we get down here to uh, uh, Romans 2. I probably need to put Romans 2 in there. Wanting to be teachers of the law, verse 7, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if it's used lawfully. How would the law be used lawfully? What was the, why was the law given? Reveal the character of God and does two things and to reveal that you don't have it. Right. Uh, And so, um, so this is, uh, this is Galatians, right? The book that the the law was added because of transgression. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, Y'all, if you have kids, you know this, you've done this your whole life, right? Um, um. use the, this example. Uh, you tell your kids, go clean your room. But we had boys. Well, um, for the most part, what that meant is um, hide everything. <laughs> throw junk under your bed, in your closet, right? Uh, you walk in the room and it s- stinks to high heaven. And mm-hmm. What'd you do with it? Um, and, and so now you got to make these proclam. Okay, uh, clean your room. Uh, that means do not throw all your clothes under the bed. Don't throw them in the You know, start enumerating that... Did you need, no? Clean your room means clean your room. Well, no, that's not good enough. See, so 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 you need a and they, and they're like little lawyers. They're always trying to get out of it. Well, you said, <laughs> so you got to make a new rule. Okay, you said uh, to put them in the the drawer. them in the drawer. Okay. No, you got to fold them. Only the dirty clothes. The dirty clothes go in the. the you know, it's, it's just tiresome, right? <laughs> now, um, can you sum up the law? Yeah. Uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. Well, what if he's got some really nice stuff and I want to take that? Okay, no, you're not allowed to take his stuff. You're not allowed to take his. You're not to lust after your, your, your neighbor's uh, wife, your neighbor's uh, possessions, your neighbor's stuff. Not even a little? Not even a little. <laughs> Can I take some of it? No, you can't take any of it. And, and so this is just the law, right? It just continues and continues and continues. So the law is good if it's used lawfully. Right, um, realizing the fact, this is back to chapter 1 verse 9, realizing the fact that the law was not made for the righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. Why is it made for the lawless and rebellious man? So that he would see what? His lawlessness and his rebellion. For the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, the profane, those who kill fathers and mothers and murders, and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and Whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, of which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, a violent aggressor. But I was shown mercy. Isn't that what the the, the law does? You don't get what you deserve? what you deserve gets poured out on some innocent animal until the one who's comes. And I acted ignorantly and unbelief. Did you catch that? Paul acted acted in ignorance. I thought Paul was the great lawyer who knew the law. Yes. And what he used, uh, what he did with the law is he used it to elevate himself, to make himself righteous. You get this in Philippians chapter three, where Paul enumerates a you know, Paul, uh, looking for, we're going to add to this as we go, right? But this, uh, look at Philippians chapter 3. Uh, what, what, look at what Paul realizes. He says there's people who are putting confidence in the flesh. What does that mean to put confidence in the flesh? Who would put confidence in the flesh? The Jews. Why would they put confidence in the flesh? Because they're Jews. Uh, I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. I'm better than you. My DNA is better than your DNA. Now there is hope for you, Mr. Gentile or Mrs. Gentile. Uh, circumcision and keep the law. You have to become one of us. Now you're never going to quite be one of us because you don't have the DNA. But we can get you close, right? And so, uh, uh, and so the Je- the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. Now Paul, writing to Gentiles, says, "Finally, my brethren." Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things is no uh, trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you, writing to Gentiles. Beware of the dogs. (laughs) Beware of the false circumcision. Did you catch that? Would the Jews think they were of, they they would say, there's there's only one circumcision. Is the circumcision of the flesh. And and, uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Paul says, no, no, no. Uh, Circumcision. The true circumcision is not of the flesh. It is of the heart. Circumcise your heart. You are of the true circumcision. You have a circumcised heart. They are of the false circumcision. For we are of the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and the glory of Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else had a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Righteousness which is in the law, blameless. See, he was making himself righteous because of the law. Romans ten four. We'll come to this. He says, "For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness." In other words, Christ comes. You can no longer put your righteousness. You can't put your hope, your faith in the fact that you're righteous because you you keep the law. Because you don't. Right? If there was any doubt, Christ ended it. Does that make sense? But whatever things were gained to me, the things that I took pride in, the things that built me up, these things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count this, them as rubbish in order that I may, be, uh, may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law he recognizes that that's not what the law was for. That doesn't mean that the law isn't perfect. The law isn't pure. The, the law doesn't restore the soul. The law is not clean and all this stuff. Um, the law is perfect. Uh, so I'll say um, um, what the law does is it shows you the perfect character of God. It's like a mirror, right? It shows you the perfect character of God and it shows you what? You don't have it, Right? So I say, look, if you are ugly when you stand before the mirror, don't blame the mirror. It's not the mirror's fault. (laughs) If you are ugly when you stand in front of the law, it's not the law's fault. That doesn't make the law evil or the law bad. Does that make sense? It's doing its job. It shows you that you are evil, that you are bad. Now, so did the Jews have the law? Yes. Did they know the law? Yes. Did the law... Convince them of their wickedness. No, it didn't. It failed to do its job. Does this make sense? Turn to Romans chapter 2. Okay, now, uh, we're studying Deuteronomy because we don't know the law. Are you with me? Well, then how did you get saved? How were you convicted of your sin? Wasn't that the function of the law for the Jew to convict them of their sin? look at Romans chapter 2. Get right to, Look at Romans chapter 2. Let me show you this. Romans chapter 2. There is no partiality with God, 2.11. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. Who would that be? Without the law. Gentiles perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Who's that? Jews. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law. See, the Jew thought he was righteous, redeemed, better than the Gentiles, because he had the law. It says, having the law doesn't make you righteous. For it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law are justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. This is, goes back to what we're talking about. How did you come to Christ? Well, you recognize you're a sinner. Why well, would that happen? Because the Spirit convicted you. You didn't know the law. But you knew that you were condemned. Because now the law, weak as it was, couldn't do its job. The Spirit does. The Spirit convicts of sin. And the Spirit convinced you that Jesus is the Christ. And so you have placed your, your faith in Christ, right? So if the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having a law become a law unto themselves uh, in that they show the works of the law written on their hearts and their conscience, either uh, bearing witness, either, uh, uh, you know, accusing or defending them, their thoughts accusing or defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men's hearts, the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. All right. Uh, that conscience, uh, when we think conscience, um, I, the, the word here is soon ados, uh, soon, with, ados, seeing, with seeing. In other words, through the ministry of the Spirit, you see what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. You see with God. Does that make sense? You're not doing what's good and right in your own eyes. That's what you were doing before. Now you see what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord and you're convicted by which was what which was the function of the law for the Jew but it failed to work are you with me um, so, so so much of uh, this uh, this writing uh, is uh, is dealing with this dealing with the Jews tracking question we had, we had a uh, question Uh, the law the, the law failed to do its job, right? Go back to, so, okay, so let's pick up a couple places. Go to, to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, sorry, sir, we don't uh, allow just anybody in here. We're kidding. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Okay. Uh, so uh, what do we call the last 27 books of the Bible, beginning with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? The New Testament. What's another word for testament? Covenant. The New Covenant. So these are the 27 books of the New Covenant. Okay. If there's a new one, then there must have been an old one. What's the old one? Yeah. The old. The Old Covenant. The Old Testament. Uh, and so Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, Jeremiah 31: 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not like the covenant which i made with their fathers in the day that i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of egypt my covenant which they broke although i was a husband to them what's he talking about i took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of egypt the exodus moses leading israel out of the exodus and and the lord makes a covenant with israel okay but this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord I will put my law within them and I will write uh, uh, and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and these shall be my people. And they will not teach again. Each uh, man, his neighbor and each man, his brother saying, "Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I shall forgive their iniquity and their sin. I shall remember no more. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Just, just making sense. You starting to see what the law was doing. This commandment is not too difficult for you. Let's, in fact, let's go back and let's read Deuteronomy 30, starting verse 1. So it shall come about, talking to Israel, when all these things have come upon you, Israel, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Okay? Now, what's going to happen in the history of Israel is they're going to reject the Lord, they're going to follow other gods, and He's going to kick them out of the land. Okay. The Assyrians are going to come, they're going to conquer the northern kingdom. Israel's is going to be split in the north and the south, okay. uh, after King, uh, King uh, Saul, uh, Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom gets split. 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, and the Assyrians come and they haul off the north, and they take all of the south, and they have King Sennacherib is his name of Assyria. Uh, surrounds Jerusalem and Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and the angel of death comes and delivers Israel, uh, saves Jerusalem. And then the Babylonians come in three waves, about a hundred years later, and Israel is dispersed among the nations. We call it the diaspora. James is going to write of this in the book of James to the 12 tribes dispersed greetings uh, First, Peter. Peter's going to write to those who are dispersed throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. Right. Uh, any Jews in Texas today? Uh, yes. Why? Uh, they're still dispersed, <laughs> but there is a time coming when they're going to be uh, taken back. Um, you return to the Lord. So uh, when you call these things to, uh, to mind in the nations where their Lord your God has banished you, verse 2, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons, remember, this is Israel. Then the Lord, your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion upon you. And he will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord, your God has scattered you. If you're outcasts are at the end of the earth, even in Texas, then the Lord, your God will gather you back. will bring you together uh, back. And the Lord, your God will bring you into the land which your father's possessed and you will possess it and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your father's moreover. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul in order that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all of these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and who persecuted you. And you shall uh, again obey the Lord and observe all of his commandments, which I am commanding you today. Do the commandments change? Are you still supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and uh, love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah commandments don't change. What changes? Their heart is going to change so that they will keep the commands. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all of the work of your hand and the offspring of your body and the uh, you know the, all of this stuff. Verse 10, if you obey the Lord to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of this law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, for this commandment is not too difficult for you, Um, nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. In other words, it's not unrevealed. You've been told. It's not beyond the sea. It's not in some foreign nation. You don't have to go to a foreign nation uh, to find this revelation of of the Lord to say who will cross over again. But it is very near you, verse 14. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may observe it. Because that which fills the heart comes out of the mouth. When we get to Romans chapter 10, uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Why, why does it? Because that which fills the heart comes out of the mouth. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. All right. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. So what the Jews were doing is they were using the law to justify themselves, to make themselves better than the others. That wasn't the purpose of the law. Does that make sense? And this is what Paul is arguing and fighting against the whole time. We're going to get to Galatians. I'm going to show you this with Peter, discussion with Peter. Uh, my brethren, 10.1, my heart's desire and my a prayer to God is for their salvation. Whose salvation? He's talking about the Jews who rejected it. It's not as though the word, the word of God has failed, for not all Israel is Israel, because not all Israel believed. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish a righteousness of their own, they did not subject subject themselves to the righteousness of God. In other words, the law was to reveal God's righteousness, and in so doing, their lack of it. And instead, they used the law to make themselves righteous. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who uh, does the righteousness, which is based on the law, he has to live by that righteousness. But righteousness based on faith says this, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Does this sound familiar to you? That is to bring Christ down or who will uh, descend into the abyss to bring Christ up or do not say. Uh, but but what does it say? The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him shall not be disappointed. Therefore, there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. You see what he's doing? For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon his name. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he continues. Is this making sense? Okay. Now, um, now this is important. Um, so Israel, what Israel does, uh, and, and we do it too, right? We just do it differently. What Israel was doing is they were, they were using the law to say, I'm better than you elevate themselves, make themselves righteous so that they can look down on others. Uh, We don't do that, do we? No, we don't do that. Um, And so there's a scene uh, that's recorded in Galatians chapter 2. And it, it relates back to this Acts chapter 10. So let me just tell you the story of what happens. This may be better than... Then go on through. Let me just summarize the story. Here's what happens. Great commission. Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to go and they're going to be his eyewitnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay. Um, At this point, um, I don't think the disciples understood what that meant. Uh, So they go out and they're preaching the gospel to the Jews Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, and a bunch of Jews believe. Uh, And uh, you're you're beginning to read in Acts 2, 3, 4, all the way through 9, that some are believing, but some of the Jews are rejecting. And then in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is down in Joppa. We went there, Israel people. We were there, remember? Um, He was at Simon the Tanner's house. Some of us uh, were there at Simon the the Tanner's house, and, and he had just healed... This girl, uh, he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. He goes up uh, to the roof to pray, and he sees a vision. Remember the vision of the sheets coming down and kill and eat. He says, by no, more, by no means, Lord, will I kill any, uh, eat anything unclean? And this happened three times, right? And as he was sitting and contemplating what this might mean, behold, three men knocked on the door, right? Happens three times. Three men knock on the door, right? And they're Gentiles. And they have uh, come uh, from Cornelius, a Gentile. And so um, so these three men say, "Um, you're supposed to come with us. Uh, Cornelius, uh, our master, he has had a vision and you're supposed to come. Uh, And so Peter goes with them without misgivings. Because the Lord had conveyed to them that he was not to regard anything as unclean that the Lord has cleansed. And so the visions coming down from heaven, it was not about food, regarding food as unclean. It was, you are not to regard people as unclean that the Lord has cleansed. And so he goes and, and uh, meets Cornelius, and he starts to tell Cornelius uh, the, the story. And, and Cornelius, as he's telling them the gospel, Cornelius and all his house, they all believe the gospel. And they received the Holy Spirit of promise, just as Israel had received the Spirit. Pick it up in Acts chapter 11. Let me read this to you. This all relates to the law, okay? Um, And so if you don't know the law, none of this makes any sense, okay? Acts chapter 11. Now in the law, uh, the law didn't allow the Gentiles, the Jews, to hang out with the Gentiles. Let's let's start reading in 1044. While Peter was still speaking, this is speaking to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered and said, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Christ. Uh, Then they asked him to stay on for a few more days. Now, the apostles and the brethren. Now, just keep reading, okay? None of these chapters or verses were ever there originally, okay? So 11.1 just continues the story. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, why do they take issue? Because the law prohibited this. But Peter began speaking and, and proclaimed, uh, began to explain uh, to them in orderly sequence what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying. and I was in a trance and a vision and cert- certain things were coming down. a great sheet was lowered down from the four corners of the sky and it came down to me. Uh, and when I had fixed my gaze upon it and observed all of the four-footed uh, animals and, uh, of the earth and wild beasts and the crawling creatures and all this stuff, then a voice said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, By no means, Lord, I've never uh, eaten anything unclean. Nothing unclean or unholy has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer can consider unholy. And this happened three times. And then everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house which I was staying, having been sent to me from, uh, from Caesarea. Caesarea is the city where Cornelius was. Uh, and the Spirit told me to go with him without misgivings. Uh, and these six brethren also went with me. We entered in the man's house. Or it was reported to us that he had seen a, uh, uh, an angel in, in his house and saying, go to send Joppa and, and send for Simon, who is called Peter, and bring him, to, uh, bring him here. For he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it did us from the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, which he used to say, John baptized with the water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God, therefore, has given to them the same gift as he did to us after believing in Christ Jesus, who is I to stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And then the story continues and it talks about uh, Paul, uh, James being killed, and then Paul and Barnabas. Now the story picks back up with Paul. Now Paul is carrying the gospel out there to the Gentiles and, and they're believing the gospel. But a problem arises, chapter 15. right? And in chapter 15, some of the men, uh, so, so, so in chapter uh, 14, uh, Paul is sharing the gospel. The Jews are rejecting his, his gospel. He's stoned for teaching what he's teaching, uh, and, uh, uh, and so uh, they go to Antioch, uh, and now some of the men from Judea came down to where Paul was teaching, and they were taking issue with Paul, and they said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, talking about the Gentiles. And when Paul and Barnabas uh, had a great dissension and debate with them, it was determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders concerning this issue. Therefore, having been sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in great detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, right, so these were Jewish Pharisees who had believed the gospel, stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles, to circumcise them, and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders looked into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, brethren, you know that in the early days, God has made a choice among among you that by my word, the Gentiles would hear the gospel and believe, talking back about chapter ten. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did us also. And so He's made no distinction between them and us, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing about the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are also. And all the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Paul and Barnabas, and they were relating what signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then when they stopped uh, speaking, James answered and said, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon uh, has related how God, uh, Peter, has related how God uh, has first concerned himself with the taking uh, from among the Gentiles a people for his own name, and with all the words of the prophets, they all agree." After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the house of tab- uh, the tabernacle of David, which was fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it in order that the rest of make mankind may seek the Lord. And all of the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And so the, so the, the disciples, the apostles have realized uh, that salvation has come to the Gentiles just as it has to the Jews. But in the book of Galatians, Peter comes, uh, Paul relates this story of Peter. He says, I've already had to address this with Peter. See, what had happened was, Peter, the very one through whom the Gentiles had believed, now, um, he was hanging out with the Gentiles, and there were Jews that came, and Peter began to hold himself aloof, not wanting to hang out with the Gentiles. And so Paul confronts him with this issue. Look over to Galatians chapter 2. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 11. When Peter came to Antioch. uh, Notice when uh, Simon Peter... uh, Whenever Peter's blowing it, Paul calls him Cephas. <laughs> and I call him Peter. Uh, uh, Peter up on this rock. Peter's name means rock up on this rock. He says, Cephas. He ain't acting like Peter. Uh, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withhold himself, uh, to, to uh, withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel, I said to Peter, to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew have life like the Gentiles, they translate it live like the Gentiles. You have life like the Gentiles and not like the Jews how did the Jews think they had eternal life? Or why did they think they had eternal life? I'm a Jew. And Peter says, that's not why you have eternal life. They both came to realize this. You don't have eternal life because you're a Jew. You have eternal life because you have faith. The law, if the law did its job in the Old Testament and it did with the remnant, then they believed in Christ. They were looking for the Christ to come. If you, Peter, being a Jew, have life like the Gentiles and not like the Jews? How did these Gentile believers know they had life? By faith in Christ. So Peter and Paul have come to faith in the same way as the Gentiles. If you, Peter, being a Jew, have life like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to be Jewish? Look, we are Jews by nature and not sinners among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, even we believed in Christ. Since by works of the law shall no faith be justified, or no flesh be justified, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by works of the law shall no flesh uh, flesh be justified, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have destroyed, I prove myself a transgressor. What's he saying? If I I recognize I'm a sinner, I place my faith in Christ, and then I go back to the law, you know what the law is going to do? It's going to convict me again. If I rebuild that which I have torn down, if I rebuild that which once destroyed, I prove myself a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. The law did its job. It pointed out I was a sinner, Paul says, Peter says. And so I realized there's no salvation in the law. There's no deliverance in the law. Does this make sense? I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by law-keeping. Tracking? So uh, what's going on here in Galatians chapter 2 and 3 and 5 is that Paul is um, reminding these Galatians who are believers and who have left faith— And now they're going to law keeping. He says, what are you doing? You fools. Who has bewitched you? It's a fancy word. Um, This is all I want to know from you. Chapter three. Look over chapter three. This is the only thing I want to know from you. Three, two. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Of course not, because you Gentiles don't even know the law. If you get the spirit through the law... Who would have it? And who wouldn't? <laughs> right. But who has it? The Gentiles and the Jews who did what? Realize that that wasn't the function of the law. Right? So did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing through faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now putting confidence in the flesh? Now, let's stop there. Because I think that it's easy to start blaming the Jews, right? And say, well, you guys don't get it. Uh, They didn't get it. They're evil. Um, Well, um, their problem is our problem. They just did it a different way. Um, I am better than you. Um, We all do this, right? Um, The Jews just had a special way to do it. Said so we are God's chosen people. God loves us. He chose us. We're better than you. Of course, they forget in Deuteronomy 8, to Deuteronomy 9, it's not because you're more righteous that I chose you. It's not because you're stronger than the other nations I chose. I chose you basically because I picked you. So you have no reason to be prideful at all. all right? I am a Christian. You are a pagan. Well, The only reason you can claim to be a believer is because the Holy Spirit did its job and convicted you of your sin. It wasn't because you decided to believe it, although you did, it's because the Spirit convicted you of your sin. And you recognized then through the ministry of the Spirit you were a sinner and recognized that the only hope you had was in Christ. And so you believed and you have no idea what any of that meant, right? Right? Um, I've come to realize that even seminary students, we don't have the first clue what we're talking about. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Yes. Can you define anything in that sentence? You believe. What does that mean? I don't know. That Jesus the Christ Yahweh saves, that's what his name means, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. Now, the first clue that that's a title, anointed king of, you didn't know any of this when you believed the gospel. You might as well have thought that Christ was his last name, that he wore on the back of his football jersey, right? Christ. (laughs) Died. On the cross, substitutionary atonement. Anybody have substitutionary atonement in mind when they believe the gospel? They know what it was, don't even know what it means. Awful fancy terms. Uh, hypostatic union? Is it just enough to believe that Jesus was a guy who died? No, 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 you gotta believe that Jesus is uh, fully God, fully man. I don't know how that works. Um, who died as a substitute in your place for your sin, define that. Well, sin's doing bad stuff. Uh, like what kind of bad stuff? I don't know, going to the bowling alley. Acting like those other people act. Not like I act, I'm not a sinner. Right? That's why I put bowling in there. Drinking, smoking, bowling, dancing, you know, all that stuff. Whatever your list is, that's not the list. You don't get to determine it. Who determines the standard? And what is it? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five, verse forty-eight. Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, there was a country song uh, that was written years ago that Mike and I. Uh, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. <laughs> When you're perfect in every way, I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Right? (laughs) Mike and I sing this song every day. No, no, this is not. No, uh, you don't get to define perfect. In fact, what you do is you go over there and you read the law and and then you change it so that you can keep it. Which is what Israel did. I. (laughs) You get better looking each day. I'm telling you. (laughs) Uh, Oh, Lord. Uh, No. um, I I remember when I was in uh, one of our classes with uh, with Dr. Jeff Bingham and he said this and all of a sudden it made sense. He said, You know, the problem with how we share the gospel is we say, uh, Do you ever do, you ever tell a a lie? Have you ever, well, then you're a sinner. He says, No, that's exactly opposite. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You do what you are. And so the word sin comes from the Old Testament, it means to miss the mark. Chata, to miss the mark. What's the mark? It's God's perfect character. So not only do you not, not only do you miss it, you have never hit it. I don't even know what it is. Because when I try to read it, I try to make it what's good and right in my eyes. I try to justify myself with it. I don't even know what the character of God is. I know enough to know I don't have it. (laughs) Ask anybody around me, they'll tell you that too, right? Um, That you do what you do because of what you are. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so you stand before the Lord condemned. And so what do you need? Mercy. You need mercy. Mercy. So you see your brother, your sister in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lack of things. You see the orphan and the widow and the alien and the poor. Or you see the rich man who has all the stuff in the world. And you realize he's like the grass. He just withers. He's got no hope. He thinks he's rich, but he's not. And so you judge him with mercy. He needs mercy just as you needed mercy. And so you extend mercy. This was the purpose of the law. It was to be the purpose of the law in Israel. And the law failed to do it. Why did the law fail to do it? Because they were a stiff-necked, rebellious people. And so now, if you're a believer, the Spirit has convicted you of your sin. Is the Spirit still convicting you of your sin? Yes. How's that work? See, and, and, and what the legalist in us, what the legalist in us does is it says, well, I am caring for orphans and widows. Therefore, I am better than you. No, you're not. No, you see the orphan and the widow and you respond mm-hmm. to the orphan and the widow because, but by the mercy of God, that's what you be. Right? So you've been given, so you give. See, we're always in this self-elevating thing. Always, right? At least I'm not like a sinner. Or this tax gatherer. This is a, this is a um, parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. There was a, a Pharisee and a tax gatherer. And they were both going to the temple. And the Pharisee says, "I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner mm-hmm. or a tax gatherer like this one. I go to church. That's not the list, right? I go to church. I go to Wednesday. I give. I, you know, he, he makes his list. It's the same. You got the same. You do. You, I'm telling you. I know you have a list. Me and Mike, we don't have a list. I'm giving up on the list. Trying to anyway." So the Pharisee creates the list of things he does. I, I pay my tithes. I pray twice a day and he makes his list. And he says, I'm thankful I'm not like this sinner. And then the camera goes over to the tax gatherer in the center. He, 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 he won't even approach the temple. And he won't even look up. He beats his chest. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, which one got it? Which one went home Justified. And which one didn't? So we do the same thing. So when we read the law, so as we're going through all of these, uh, the law, if, if you're not reading in the law, change your heart. You're not getting it. Because the law is perfect. it restores the soul the testimony the testimony of the lord is sure it makes wise the simple the precepts of the lord they are they're just they're right they rejoice the heart and the commandment of the lord is pure gives light to the eyes and the fear of the lord is clean it endures forever The judgments of the Lord, they are true, righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, even fine gold, sweeter than honey, even the drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. For who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. How about that one? Convict me of my hidden faults, those things that I blind myself from seeing. Keep your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I'll be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's not bad. That's not bad. Is the law bad? It's perfect. Now, are you bad? Yes. How do you know it? How was Israel to know it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so now the Gentiles who don't have the law do the things of the law. They love the Lord, their God, and they, they love their neighbor as self. Then the world sees it. And the world will know that you are my disciples by how you yourself. love one another. How you love one another. So if we want the world to know that we are his disciples, then I guess we need to get on with loving one another. I think we need to end right there. Good. I have one yes. Yep. Can you tell me in the Bible book? As a gentleman, the paraphrase to which much has given, much is expected. Uh, so uh, that one. Um, it might be yeah, it's in. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's Corinthians. Um, let me. I'll have to find it. Let me. I'll find it for you in a minute. Uh, First Corinthians, but it's not in that in the context we think it is. So let me. I'll find it. Um, I got to run the program for a minute. Um. Uh, what are you given that you didn't receive? I'll find it for you. I'll find it for you in a minute. Yeah, it'll pop in in a minute. Um. Good. Convicting, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's okay. Let the Lord work on your heart. It's wicked anyway, you might as well. It needs straightened up. (laughs) Let me pray for us, Lord. Thanks for our time. Thanks for our friends who've come from out of town and and uh, this weekend where we've got to catch back up. And and Lord, thank you for the church. Pray for. Pastor and Leslie, as they are traveling back from, uh, from Kentucky, that you bring them back, uh, back safely and uh, for the ministry that's going on here at the church. And Lord, pray that through the ministry of your heart, uh, of, your soul, of your spirit, you change our hearts and that uh, we would learn to love each other well is our prayer. And so, Lord, we need your help in it. So we'll commit it to you in Christ's name. Amen.